probably if we're going to count this chronologically, this is the 15th episode. Today we are going to talk about Phantom Thread uh, by Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, and possibly, I'm guessing, uh, one of the main topics we're going to touch on is the notion of enjoying your symptom. What do you think, Adrian? Enjoying your symptom? Is that like a, is that the biggest takeaway you got from this film? Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, I hadn't thought about it until you told me, but uh, you know, I'm excited to talk about the relationship, the narrative relationship between this and making love as well. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you wrote it before it came out, right? Uh, yeah. So I think I saw this in like, um, like November 2017 or something, and we wrote making love on and off between 2015 and we've finished writing it in like maybe I'm going to say June 2017 mm -hmm. and it could just be because of like the framing that I have with other film that we made Making Love but to me it's like structurally the same like yeah. it has the same insight it's thematically the same but it's just expressed in a different story obviously um, but I, I feel like the theme of Making Love and the theme of Phantom Thread is the same thing but yeah, yeah. But it's funny no, as well because, so. like, you also, you know, you get things happen, emerge in, like, people make the same observations at <laughs> similar times. You know, you have, like, the two movies about Tr Capote, Truman Capote came at the same time, whatever. Um, but, yeah, no, it was just interesting. And I remember seeing it, I was like, oh, fuck, they've done what we've done. But anyway, maybe <laughs> it isn't the main insight, and I'm just reading it through my own perspective. But this is, uh, yeah. This wasn't adapted, right? Because he's done a few... No, maybe it was just Inherent mm. Vice, the, the Pynchon novel. Mm. But th I think this was just completely uh, yeah, original I think, screenplay. I think so. I think so, yeah. And also I know that he he didn't co-write it with Daniel mm -hmm. Day-Lewis, but mm -hmm. he, he, he... Anderson has mentioned a bunch of times that like he was involved in the script Interesting. writing. Interesting. So he came out with the name, yeah, yeah, Reynolds Woodcock, that he, yeah. it, it was his idea. And, Which uh, I just find yeah. so weird because obviously it's like set in England and like to me and like Damien Day-Lewis is Damien, what the fuck Damien, Daniel Day-Lewis <laughs> is obviously like English, like Anglo-Irish, whatever. Um, so to me, it's like Reynolds Woodcock is the kind of name that an American would choose for like mm -hmm. an old school, like upper crust. Is he Irish? London Where's he well, from? Well, I think he's like Anglo-Irish, so like. But he's like, he Ireland, was born in like America? Oh, Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah. He's born in like, I'm gonna say he was born in England. I feel like he lives in Ireland. Like, there's a lot of, obviously, they're close, and there's a lot of kind of people who have British heritage who live in Ireland, is what I'm gonna but yeah, say. Yeah, he's, he's like, yeah, he's British Irish. Yeah. And he was born in London. So yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there's other, and there's uh, like, um, Jeremy Irons, who's married to Sinead Cusack, like, he lives in Ireland. I think there's a lot of, like, actors who live in Ireland. But he, yeah, and, like, the Fines family, I think, is similar. I think they're, like, Anglo-Irish. But, um, yes, but the point being is that Reynolds Woodcock, to me, sounds like, you know, like, the kind of thing that a person who isn't from a place chooses her name. But, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's, like, some symbology to it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I was going to ask you... Woodcock. I was going to ask you, what do you think about this whole, like, method actor method? Mm, do you yeah. think it's, like, 
Like, you know, that they like to be, like, referred to as the character even yeah. outside of, like, the camera rolling. I don't know. It seems pretty perverse to me. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, uh, which I think might apply to this movie. But um, I don't know. It obviously works for Daniel Day-Lewis because he's, like, very, very good. But then on the other hand, he's done... You know, I mean, there's many way all roads lead to Rome you know what I mean like you can do be super prolific and do thousands of movies or be really discerning and do a few and like really take your time over whatever and there's I mean like I'm gonna say 99% well you maybe hasn't done 100 movies but the vast majority of his films I think are just like amazing um and I think generally like he's picked really well in his career and obviously he's retired so there's obviously like an element of like well because acting is a career often people do till the day they die. So maybe he just doesn't enjoy it that much if he like, wants to retire. <laughs> so yeah. it's a pretty brutal technique. But yeah, At the same time, yeah, it if it, maybe it's just like... Um, I was... Well, do, but, uh, kind of like a look back at our previous episode, but mm-hmm. I thought it was a little bit pretentious, but Nicole Kidman was talking about... Uh, you know, the the lines sort of being blurred between the character that she played in Eyes Wide Shut mm-hmm. and just her as a person. And she was like, oh, my God, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous thing to, like, to, to like, become your character and you don't know who you are anymore. But there might be something to it. And, and maybe for, for him it was just, like, it's too much because you really can kind of tell that for most of his of his roles, he just, like, he was completely in it. Uh, mm-hmm. He feels just very different in the different movies that he's done, and uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I know when you think about like um, Last Mohicans, greatest film of all time, compared to like <laughs> uh, There Will Be Blood. Yeah, I think he's then, so yeah, good. Yeah, also yeah. in um, Gangs of New York, I think he's. Great yeah, I know it's funny because like Gangs of New York, I just find it's like I haven't seen it for like maybe. 15 years, but I didn't think it was mm-hmm. a very good film as far as I can remember. It's but not. yeah, he was like very good in it. Yeah. yeah, it's not it's not a great movie, but he's great. Yeah, in it. yeah, he's like, like he, terrifying. Yeah, mm. and like oh my god, like the costume in that film is so gross. He has like under his like top hat, he had this like weird like leather skull cap thing and like greasy hair. Yeah. It was so gross, but effective. <laughs> but yeah, the film, as far as I can remember, wasn't very good. But yeah, this I, film. I, yeah, mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I actually wasn't going to say anything. So. No, no, I was just I was just going to say that. You know, we've talked about this a little bit, but um, I think that there's movies, for example, that just like there is a particular thing that is great. And then the rest mm-hmm. of the stuff is just kind of like not that great. So, mm-hmm. for example, in Gangs of New York, I think that he's great, but the movie's not. And yeah. also in what's that movie that he did? Um, I, think it's, I think it's called Nine. Yeah. You remember oh, that? yeah. The one that's like, um, is it like a Philly? Like a Fellini thing, or like, no, is it like a, a like, he's a, like a, a director. musical thing? Is it a musical? Yeah, it's a musical, yeah. and he's a director. Well, there and you it go. Was just That's where it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, sort of not joking. I don't like musicals, but yeah. <laughs> no, but he, he, it was just kind of like a failure in mm. in all fronts, really. Mm. And I, I, but I do remember when I saw it, there was just like, I was kind of like, you know, struck by his mm-hmm. presence in the movie so yeah the other one that we were talking about is just like i told you is just, uh the ninth gate roman polanski's and i was mm-hmm. like i feel like everything falls short except for polanski's direction there's just it was just like fucking primo like perfect yeah god polanski's what was i watching 
Oh no, I was just thinking, what was I watching about the planets? Obviously, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is about Sharon Tate. Did you you saw it? Did you see it? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No, it doesn't no. come out here in Mexico until oh, like, okay. next month. Yeah. yeah. But I, th- I think I was just watching it because I was like, I swear I just... Oh, no, I did just see a Polanski movie. Sorry, I was just watching Carnage the other day. It's very good. Wait, did you watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? No, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, okay. But yeah. you, you're you thinking that it might be kind of boring or long? I've A friend said it was very long, and I mm-hmm. have to sign myself up and be in the mood to see it. But I guess it touches on the whole Polanski thing because of Sharon Tate. But, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Tangent. No, I think, I think, yeah, I think there's a character for him. Okay, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Are you a fan of Tarantino? Uh, so Tarantino, I feel like... Uh, do you ever have this friend that, like, you don't really like him, but whenever you hang out with him or her, it's just, like, you like them Yeah. for a while? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Tarantino's kind of like that. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. like, I don't really like him until I see one of his movies. It's like, ah, it's all right. Like, it's yeah. it's pretty fun or whatever. Yeah. But it does. he doesn't have the same, like, staying power as other directors mm-hmm. that I love mm-hmm. um, that are just with me all the time. I feel like I just have kind of, like, a love-hate relationship with him. Do you also find, like, because um, obviously Tarantino is so Tarantino, just as Wes Anderson is so Wes Anderson. And there's mm-hmm. almost, like, um you know something and obviously they you know it's their writer directors they create their own work but i almost like kind of like directors who are a bit more um chameleon like their films as in you can tell well polanski is an example like he's done such a diverse range of films and all films are kind of like the style and tone emerges from the film itself like michael mann is another example obviously there's like michael mann traits but you know they do like such a diverse range of film that and the, the like the, the even like a, a Paul Thomas Anderson is similar, you know, he has a similar tone and style and themes and stuff, but the films are like different in, enough in a way because they're kind of like stylistic elements come from the actual seed of the story itself rather than just being like a Tarantino movie, you know. But, yeah. yeah, I think I well, I you, this is something interesting. I think that Tarantino has had like a very similar style throughout his whole career, mm-hmm. like you know, I can tell the similarities between like hateful eight and mm-hmm. pulp fiction mm-hmm. there's like a line that sort of like crosses like through them mm-hmm. and i think that paul thomas anderson took a very drastic turn after the master mm-hmm. um where whereas i think at the beginning of his career with like boogie nights and uh, heart eight and magnolia he's closer to like scorsese and uh, maybe Max Ophuls. It's just like very fast and like acrobatic camera mm-hmm. work and mm-hmm. all of this. And just like you can like the camera is basically character. Whereas I think lately he's been getting closer to like Bergman mm-hmm. and uh, Kubrick and just like more more sober, I think, camera yeah. work. And obviously more co- just more focused on the dialogue and the characters and all that. Yeah. So... I don't know. At least I think that maybe Paul Thomas Anderson has like the the guts to completely abandon like what he's done in the past and mm-hmm. then just do something completely new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously like, you know I I think it's great to have a obviously one's own uh, style and way of doing things and stuff. But yeah, no, it is interesting how things change. And I also think that film, and I also think that Tarantino like his movies are too stylistic to mm. be close to heart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's almost like, you know, you get this level of, like, whim- I don't know if whimsy is, like, the right word, but there's, like, mm-hmm. a kind of, yeah. It's like, it's, you know that, actually, I, I was going to talk about it in the previous episode, the idea of, like, metamodernism, to you. 
What's that? What's Meta- that? No. Metamodernism. Well, there's a no, side of it that's like, so talking about Red Scare, etc. There's a big whole can of worms to open up here. So, the Metamodernist Manifesto is written by this artist, Luke Turner, mm-hmm. um, who has like massive beef with the Red Scare girls for various reasons. Okay. They're the, they talk about him a lot. But anyway, so this idea of metamodernism, it's like something like Amelie, you might say, is metamodern or um, Wes Anderson. There's a kind of like a postmodern kind of detachment, but then like also a reverting back to like modernism itself or to like, to like a sincerity. Mm-hmm. So you have like an emotional detachment and a sincerity at the same time, um, I think. I, as in, I haven't like, I remember reading it in like maybe like 2014 yeah. and thinking that it was like interesting and insightful and had some, you know, I was wondering like whether that would be the next whatever movement, but I haven't yeah. really thought about it since then, except that he's been mentioned on Red Scare a lot. No, but it's interesting that you mention uh, Wes Anderson because to me, Wes Anderson is very similar to Quentin Tarantino in mm-hmm. the way that I relate to him as a director because, mm-hmm. I don't know, Wes Anderson to me is like, he's pretty good, but I don't remember a lot about about his films like after I've seen them. Yeah. And I think it's the same with Tarantino. I can kind of remember mm-hmm. that like what they're about and that they're very stylistic and that... Yeah, I... I basically just think that they kind of get in their own way yeah. of the movie. Like they're they're too their style is like too potent and yeah. it just comes across as like maybe a little bit arrogant or uh, Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. There's definitely like an exception that proves a rule like not everybody could make such a stylistically kind of like overtly stylized piece. And I think when I started out directing, like Wes Anderson was a big influence and like Mm-hmm. Moonrise Kingdom was that he's like a you know a big voice or whatever but I almost I personally took a turn to being like more sincere even though yeah, like, that's... like something like where's uh, like Moonrise Kingdom has a real sincerity it's very very moving you know yeah but, that's completely yeah. gone from making love I didn't see any Wes Anderson of that it seemed more like you were getting closer to like Michael Mann and uh, yeah I don't <laughs> yeah, know I, I do thought... like Michael Mann a lot it's funny I feel like um, fucking great my yeah. films are like very unfeminine I don't know if there's anything such as feminine maybe I think not there's, I don't know there's some feminine moments I yeah I do I do guess what you're saying I do I guess I know what you're saying but mm. I think that there's a bunch of guys that like they don't know how to write women for example um, oh yeah okay that's something that I've that's an interesting thing so there's obviously like on reddit there's a subreddit which is like uh, extracts of like men writing women Oh, yeah, and I'm like, yeah. really? Is this just like some dumb, like, <laughs> the patriarchy nonsense, you know? And mm-hmm. I'm sure like women can write crap women. I don't know. Because there's always like, the idea, like this is like, the, I sometimes think there's like an Orientalism with female directors that they're like, understand emotions better or like understand the female experience better. But it's like, I don't fucking understand women. No, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. No, but it's like, for example, I think Vince Gilligan is like a good example because he did kind of like a turn because in Breaking Bad, the women yeah. are just like really badly written. But uh-huh. I don't know if you've seen it, but Better Call uh-huh. Saul, uh, it's like with Kim Wexler, she's like this incredibly written uh, 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 character. Mm-hmm. And I think you have a little bit of that. It's just like you are you can, 
what is it this what is what is that word ambidextrous like you can mm-hmm. you can move from like a male perspective to like a female perspective and it's like, <laughs> that's like not something that everybody can do yeah and it's interesting like um camille pallia who like I, I like on some levels but also um and actually no i liked until i saw but i do i'm not saying like i stopped liking but she did an interview with uh, jordan peterson that i found very annoying um but I do like her a lot. But she had this kind of like idea of um, like a, a like trans in a certain thing of like a almost like an obsessive woman, you know. And it's mm. it's interesting that all like she said she she in a sense, if I'm not mistaken, I hate that term. If I'm not mistaken, but like identifies on some level as like a trans woman because she feels like she has a male perspective. But mm-hmm. then, obviously, you get into the murky waters of, like, a male brain and a female brain and all that silliness. <laughs> no, but, yeah. yeah, I know, yeah. Anyway, but, no, it is interesting. And maybe that is a thing of, like, some women do. Uh, but, yeah, women are, like, what do, what do, what do women want, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's possible that, like, men need the assistance of women to write women, but women don't need the assistance of men to write men. I don't know. It, there might be something yeah, that, in that. There, there might there might be something in that. Yeah, I know it is interesting that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, to speak. But anyway, when was terms. the la- when was the last time that you saw uh, Phantom Thread? I've seen it once. <laughs> November twenty seventeen. <laughs> when it came out. But yeah, no, it has stuck with me. And the reason why it stuck with me is because I think it's like a, it it addresses things. I think. Uh, I uh, of like um, personal, what's the word? Um, concern maybe like um the idea of yeah so basically to me the the uh the story is about a couple fine navigating desire um Mm -hmm. and finding a way to enjoy their their symptom as a couple so um yeah so it's basically in making love we have just gonna like refer to me and I don't know most like obviously everybody who's watched this listens to this has not watched my stupid short film but anyway um uh basically it's a couple who it's like an impossible relationship but that's almost like the desirous symptom of the relationship itself and so by the end of the film they come to realize that they have to rather than have each other basically I guess the most of the film was told from this like male writer's perspective that he, he has this object of desire which is impossible to attain woman who has a husband and etc etc and she doesn't know she's what her feelings are towards him and when they run away together they realize like that's actually not what they want and what they want is to maintain this kind of impossible relationship like that's Mm -hmm. the goal so it's to enjoy what they so enjoyment psychoanalytically is kind of like not perpetually it's like well enjoying perpetually what you don't get so in phantom thread we have this relationship between like a di- like a fraught relationship like in most love stories if it was a simple there wouldn't be a story so a fraught relationship but between this like very austere obsessive although i'm not sure he's obsessive like guy who has a very strict way of doing things and then a yep. flighty romantic woman who kind of wants to change things up and like change up his life and like you know um, yeah and then they discover this kind of like sexual symptom, which is her poisoning him. 
Or the care, right, that comes after. The care that comes after, yeah, absolutely. But it's like, to get there, he has to be, like, poisoned so that mm-hmm. she can then take this role on. And so, if, of course, when this first happens, it's, like, horrifying. He, she te- she feeds him poison mushrooms. It's like, oh, my God, he's so ill, da 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 but then it's a kind of a realization of the enjoyment that comes in that structure and it ends with like her making an omelet for him and then him being happy about it with these poisonous mushrooms. Yeah. I probably haven't explained myself very well at all. No, I think that's I think that's really good. And do you think that what do you think that maybe that's his repetition sort of like drive there is precisely this whole like rigid structure that he's been waiting for somebody to just come and like make it collapse so almost like obviously there's like a bdsm element to it and Uh, yeah absolutely so you know did i tell you about this like documentary that nick breenfield did where he goes and like um spends a year with these women who work in this like dungeon in new york it's from like 20 years ago and it's really good i think it's Mm. called fetishes but anyway the point being it's like all the guys that go there and obviously, like in it, there's like it's kind of like a sim- symbol in storytelling as well. You have like the Chinese guy in House of Cards. He's like powerful businessmen who actually kind of want, on some level, to in their private life be dominated and to like hand over control because they're like mm-hmm. maybe run a business or run a bank or like run a country or something. So like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's often like those kinds of guys who want to be dominated <laughs> do you no. well this is one of uh this is one of dasha's like hot takes or whatever right. from from, yeah. from red scare but yeah. she says that uh the best sort of duo that can happen is that all great directors are sadists and the best actors that work with them are masochists do you think that that dynamic works in relationships or is it unsustainable and can just like sort of like produce like intense sort of passion for a while but it's too close to home maybe then you know it's it's kind of like warping around the the whole like there is no sexual relationship thing that maybe it becomes a little bit too harmonious that to the point that it can become a little bit horrific well no i think it's interesting because i think in in phantom thread they like managed to ritualize it you know so yeah but yeah no i think this is the thing it's like a person wants their fantasy, but also doesn't want it. Like, because there's obviously some people who have like a kind of relationship whereby it's like all out in the open, and like the guy lives as the slave to the woman and all this kind of stuff. But like, yeah. I think that would be like, you know, like so the whole thing is like designed, <laughs> like their whole so, lives are designed, designed around. Yeah, but I don't know. You, I don't. I think your question is like. Is that something that you can like just bring into your like actual material life or just keep as a fantasy? Well, because of what you're saying, then my question would be like, do you think that maybe Phantom Thread is in a sense, in a psychoanalytic sense, like a mm-hmm. fairy tale because they are, they find a way to ritualize it, which That's maybe death drive might get in the way in a regular relationship or it just, you know, it's not going to happen. Mm, yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. That is mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah, I mean, and this comes down to like configuration, relationship configurations. Like, obviously, you know, recently there's been a lot of talk of polyamory and stuff, and this like utopian thing of being able to have all your desires of all these different people all the time. Um, and I've heard the joke from like people who are polyamorous is like they're the most organized people because you have to like 
you know if you want something organized give it because they have to like compartmentalize and stuff but the idea of like <laughs> obviously there's like a people's fantasy is like oh having sex with all these different people but yeah is it is it actually real and maybe like conventional marriage is like the best way to just not have it and therefore like maintain yeah. desire because i think these were like making love yeah so the pos- they had this possible basically it's set up by a, th- a tertiary character who gives this couple the chance to run away together and by doing that so he sets up a whole prohibition during the story but actually the prohibition is fake so the prohibition like indicates that they can't have this relationship and he wants to show to them that actually the relationship there's nothing there other than the prohibition. Mm-hmm. So the prohibition, they realize after they leave and then they get what they want, that they don't want it and they want the prohibition. So yeah. maybe actually making love is different from Phantom Thread because making love is just basically like, yeah, keep the prohibition. Whereas Phantom Thread is like, the prohibition doesn't exist. Although the thing is, like, okay, so you could argue it's sustained, that we- but it's not like provoked by anybody. Because, like, yeah, in because in Phantom Thread, don't, isn't Cyril sort of like the yeah, the chaperone yeah, yeah. there, yeah, like the yeah, one that yeah, is absolutely. like sort of like prohibiting the whole thing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, there's a whole thing of like he's worried that if he, uh, you know, is almost like if he gets because obviously there's this element that this sexual desire is there already. But that if he gets that, his whole like empire, creative empire will collapse. Mm-hmm. And there's this whole thing of this like woman, um, the Vicky Cripes character, like coming in, Alma, I think she's called, coming into his world, that he like loses his creativity. And then he, there's a point where he thinks that his clothes are getting outdated. And this like princess, I think, goes to a different fashion house. <laughs> so yeah, obviously, like there's an idea of like, if you actually get your, what your libidinal whatever in mm-hmm. sex, then you will you be as creative? I don't know. Like, yeah, if you have sex all day, would you create anything? But then yeah. I don't know if that's actually true or not as a theory, but yeah. Well, that's that's one of the things that, well, I think it's true because that's one of the things that uh, Jameson Webster was talking about in mm. Belfast in the wake, in the wake. Uh, are you guys going to put those um, those talks up, by the way? Or are they already up? I think they are already up on Peter's, Peter's Patreon. I think. Okay. Well, maybe yeah. we can link it so that any, anybody that's interesting, they yeah. can listen to it. But uh, yeah, but anyway, uh, she talks about, I forgot what structure it is. Maybe she was talking about paranoid, but it's just like, there's a tendency for paranoid people to masturbate too much to the point that they're just like getting rid of excess energy or libido. Oh, like the phobic. No. The pho- oh yeah, the phobic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe there's something to it of just like you know it doesn't matter whether it's i mean zupancha talks about this in in uh in in what is sex and it's just like there is a masturbatory sort of dimension to re- sex relationship anyway mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. there might be sort of like a way in which creativity it's either or you know <laughs> yeah you, know, you have and, and you know it's sort of part of like the horror of just like a, a romantic relationship is yeah. having to balance between those two things because obviously, like, there's the early Freud thing of, like, civilization is discontents, you know, and the, like, repression of, you know, like, like sublimation. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think, I think, uh, yeah, that's interesting. That's, that's interesting. But, um, you know, it is, it's, it's, because obviously, like, there's a, I think I remember correctly, like, Alma has this, like, fantasy at the end or, like, a projected Im- imagination of what the future will be where this new configuration exists and 
she is like involved in the creative house and they have this relationship and um so they get the sexual side of it but she like inserts herself into his creative work that way as well and then they have children and then but yeah maybe you're right maybe that is it's a fairy tale and it is almost shot like a fairy tale like it has this kind of haze to it it has a kind of like um yeah it does have a, a fable-esque type yeah tone to it the music and obviously you're all also like very fairytale-ish very it's, it's very fairytale the music very fairytale-ish sorry yeah and you also have all these like princesses and their beautiful clothes mm-hmm. you know oh, yeah. it's very yeah. uh, and the building as well it's like a what's well, a terrace house but it has this kind of like elevation to it you know oh, yeah. it's all like beautiful fabrics and like no 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 like it's in like Rapunzel-esque so yeah maybe it is a fairy tale. yeah I think so well also this reminds me a lot of this whole thing that Zizek talks about of just mm-hmm. like you know like uh, if you fall in love it can be maybe the worst thing that could ever happen mm-hmm. to you because it completely puts everything off kilter mm-hmm. and I think it's interesting that the movie starts with him being in a different relationship and yeah. uh, you know they're having breakfast and the other girls just kind of like hey, I can't even get you to look at me anymore and I tried to do everything to distract you from whatever but she's like he's protected by Cyril from that and like you know they have a, a talk a dinner him uh reynolds and cyril and where they're talking Mm -hmm. about oh you know like how to get rid of this girl already because it's been enough or she's starting to interfere with with his sort of like uh, his his structure of work or whatever um but i think there's a there's a transfer of energy uh Mm. when when alma comes into the scene where it's just like he stops or or maybe he's not protected anymore and and that yeah. sort of becomes ritualized and the rituals that he has for work now belong to this relationship and yeah, yeah there's like a there's like a shift of structure there it's interesting cuz like obviously yeah i would say it's like a, it's a it's a version of a sadomasochistic relationship or his like masturbatory fantasy is like as a as a masochist in some sense but like obviously it's like a the the dominant female is like a caring for role and there's obviously like the mother element there and stuff but um you know this is the funny thing because i think this is how like often you know i think it's kind of uh what's the word like theoretically correct at the beginning of the film where potentially he has all these fantasies for whatever sexual thing but like you don't want to get it you know you don't Mm -hmm. So as in, just to repeat the idea of the, what happens at the end is being a fairy tale, because like people don't want to have what they just, like, you don't want to have what you desire on a fantastical level. Like you just don't, because it's, mm-hmm. so I don't know, speaking from personal experience, mm-hmm. you know, like people have sexual fantasies, but you don't actually like want it to actually happen other yeah. than like occasionally in a very specific situation. So mm-hmm. yeah, so maybe he like this. So maybe like the making love endpoint is what is at the beginning, a phantom thread. Yeah, <laughs> as in yeah, he's I created so. a situation with his sister, which is yeah. Yeah, no, and I, and I think that uh, there's a there's a sort of dynamic in their ritualization of their sort of like uh, sadomasochistic relationship there mm-hmm. uh, that is. It's not. It's not. 
it doesn't work in the real world. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you know, you have they have like this poison thing that is like the central sort of thing that binds them together. But I'm not necessarily sure that marriage works in the same way. Yeah. Uh, like it's not like if you get married, you know, that's the poison and that's the thing that mm-hmm. that sort of like ritualizes your love or mm-hmm. your sort of like erotic relationship. I think that maybe even uh, marriage has the opposite effect it's just like it puts you in a position where you're trying to find that mm-hmm. object and it continues to be like you know there's this like repetition of loss and of the, of the relationship or of the sexual relationship and it's just like you have to continue to try to find or it's the struggle to ritualize the relationship mm-hmm. i don't necessarily think that marriage itself is a ritualization of the yeah. relationship i see what you mean yeah yeah Yeah. yeah, and so basically, potentially, the goal is to continually ritualize, att- continually attempt to ritualize rather attempt than to, yeah, actually, exactly. actually ritualize. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like if you're like, okay, every Friday at two o'clock, let's do this. You know, I don't think it. Oh, yeah. wo- you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't yeah. work. And I think that that's what happens a lot in uh, in some marriages, where it's just like uh, t- when it comes to the point where you're just like scheduling days to have sex. Mm-hmm. like you're fucked you know <laughs> like, yeah and obviously like it, it, yeah it's 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 ritualizing and, and mm-hmm. that's why i think it's it's a fairy tale in the movie because they get to ritualize it and it works for them yeah mm. i know yeah i think you're i think you're right because i think yeah interesting interesting yeah yeah because yeah, i i guess i'd seen like the the find yeah they find a way to as in potentially the BDSM structure like has a prohibition baked into it. So therefore mm-hmm. it's almost more like theoretically correct in terms of how desire functions. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like almost like meta, meta capitalizing on desire because it's all about prohibition. Yeah. But then, yeah, if, if that's actually what turns you on is like being dormant. Yeah, it's a tricky one. It's like a loose, it's like slippery, a slippery concept. Do you think that yeah. uh, do you think that for the for maybe for a BDSM thing like there's a the excluded is sort of like the norm and maybe that that's why it works for them? Well, I would just say that so you know the idea that basically you you want what you can't have in general. So just the mm-hmm. idea of like we're talking about people's sexual sexual fantasies like the foreplay yeah, is the I- thing not the sex itself. So uh-huh. BDSM is like pet- like perpetual foreplay like yeah 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 i mean i i think i get it but do you think that maybe for for bdsm like want what you can't have what they can't have is sort of like un like a vanilla sort of uh uh, sex right well and that becomes sort of like the thing that you you know they're escaping or that they can't quite like uh ritualize right yeah it's interesting because it's like Because isn't it also that is don't sorry don't they also say that some of these like more experimental sexually experimental communities are like mm-hmm. they're actually pretty traditional in the way that that, that sex works and like maybe yeah. it's not as sexually active so maybe what they can't have is this sort of like traditional sort of thing and that's what they want but it's through that I don't know yeah it's interesting because I'm just trying to so want what you can't have like well okay. You only want what you can't have is how desire functions. Mm-hmm. The psychoanalytic insight is want what you can't have. Yeah. 
so if we're talking about like a BDSM relationship and somebody like it's all about preventing the man from having sex. Mm -hmm. So have they like done it within the BDSM structure of like, so want what you can't have as in the, the male who is prevented from having sex by the woman is desiring of the prohibition itself. Yeah. So potentially like, I don't know. I don't know. Like maybe they know the secret of sex. (laughs) <laughs> like I so? don't think yeah yeah like maybe they do I'm like I don't know but like maybe do you know what I mean like yeah. I think those relationships don't necessarily have to have sex at all like the fantasy is in the not having like as in the, the pleasure yeah. so mm-hmm. is there's like an enjo- there's like a baked in enjoy what you don't have within the sexual structure itself but then like again though like human desire is elusive so that doesn't mean like oh you go around just like preventing not having sex all the time because then you're getting like you're like getting sexual pleasure from that and as you say like if you do that all the time then that's not yeah but yeah so that's what i mean about like the control aspect but then it's not like it's a there's an yeah i don't know there's an element of bdsm in the in the poisoning but it's not necessarily like she's preventing him from sleeping with her or anything like that you know no, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, I totally get it. I, I was just thinking maybe in the way that, like, um, I think that if what if the way that desire works or constitutes itself is through a prohibition, then, you know, at the same time, you don't get to choose what your, your, exactly. your phantasmatic yeah. sort of dimension yeah. is or, mm-hmm. like, how it works. So uh, your unconscious sort of, like, demands things from you um when it when in terms of desire so i think that maybe if there's somebody that has like a you know like what freud would call it just like an, an inversion of, of of sexuality maybe it's what you want is the opposite and mm-hmm. you know it comes for also just like vanilla sex or whatever or mm-hmm. vanilla um sort of like relationships you know, what they want is the opposite and mm-hmm. to, to sort of break that barrier. But you don't get to yeah. choose what your prohibition is and much yeah, less yeah, yeah. your yeah, exactly. desire, you know. Yeah. I know that, that's what I think. That's the thing is like, because I was, yeah, you could argue that that prohibition aspect of the BDSM is like, is like theoretically correct. But yeah, absolutely. You don't, not necessarily, because if like you get the thing in the prohibition, because obviously like a perverse person, like they have yeah. objects or whatever that are, yeah anyway but you're right so like it's like how do you prevent that on a step before than even the prevention of sex like how do you prevent the prevention of sex (laughs) you know yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) but um oh i was i was gonna ask you you being you know an english person or you Mm. know uh, british do do you what do you think about this whole like (laughs) the way that they the way that reynolds cock Woodcock uses, uh, sorry, asks for breakfast, which is super just like it's a fucking like shopping list. Like it's so oh, detailed. Yeah, like, and he's so, yeah. I don't know. So that thing where he's like in his, he's like, I want five sausages, two scones, double yeah, cream, scones. jam. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> yeah, so yeah. excessive. But do you not think it's like almost, well, there's like various different things. I wonder if people's metabolisms in the far- past used to be faster than they are now. I don't know. But um, th- there's like an element of like, uh, 
well it, like symbolically there's like a uh, like a like a plentifulness and also you know it is like it is like the fairy tale aspect to it because there's always like fairy tales always have like banquets and like food and like uh, harry the potter lap, the lapsang tea yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like Harry <laughs> Potter, one of the things that I remember the most from reading Harry Potter as a child was like all the food in it, like the, you know, it has a, like a fan fairy tale element to it, you know, mm-hmm. like butterbeer and the pumpkins. And blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I wonder if it has that, you know, that that does speak to the speak to the like fairy tale element of it. But also, you know, this it's all about like sensual. The film's all about, well, it plays between repression and sensuality so you have all of the like textures of the materials and the color and the expensive outfits yeah so and like the an time inherent taken sensuality over. exactly and i think the food yeah. is like part of that yeah. yeah but what but like do you is, is it is it like the norm to just get like these like enormous breakfasts and like so detailed like that i don't know i mean i'm gonna say no but like obviously There's the whole thing of like the English breakfast, which is like lots of food, which is like bacon, eggs, tomato, black pudding, beans, fried bread. Like, yeah. it's like a huge thing. But I, I mean, I don't know, like, no, but then like, it's very old and daisy, like old and daisy. People, oh, yeah. people didn't count calories in the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you think that food is like it's worse now like it, it'll get you fatter than it used to yeah, be yeah do you think i think so i think there's various elements i mean i not to sound too conspiracy theorist about it but i have thought about this a lot but like i think i do think people's metabolisms worth oh obviously like people lead more sedentary lifestyles but we used to eat different so i have heard it said that like in like minced meat we used to eat like a lot of organ meat that had like nutrients that we don't get now and they used to eat like minced meat with like every part of the body including like the animal's thyroid and then they took that out so they like extracted everything to like just muscle meats and like carbs now mm-hmm. and before like there was a lot of like animal C- complex like, carbs yeah and like um animal fats and stuff instead of like fake foods like if you think about like everybody uses vegetable oil now but like if you think about Not to be like nature has a plan and like mother nature is all ordered and stuff, but just like if you think about how difficult it is to get a gram of oil from some vegetables, like vegetables have no oil in them. So like mm-hmm. we obviously didn't eat vegetable oil before. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> That's just <laughs> just as an aside. But yeah. <laughs> but like yeah, there's definitely food I think obviously that we're not I don't even know designed to eat because that's stupid and obviously at some stage we're gonna have to like work out a way of creating food that when you know i'm not against like frigging science and like genetic modification all that kind of stuff but like i just think that at a, we don't know very much about nutrition basically yeah and i think Have it's you... a lot more than calories in calories out obviously but this is a nutrition <laughs> podcast <laughs> Have you ever food been... is like a really interesting topic what do you think about the the era of the movie like have you ever been oh, obsessed fuck. with like a different yeah yeah my god i used to be obsessed with the 60s like mad men like oh yeah i always uh, think like i would be better suited to the 1960s yeah damn this is 50s right this is 50s yeah 50s 50s is almost better than the 60s it's like before before right everything before. became unrepressed the foreplay of the 60s yeah exactly it's all <laughs> like constant foreplay like the way people dressed Mm-hmm. Okay, this is not to excuse. Obviously, these days you have to be careful what you say about the past, and the past equals bad. But 
it's more complicated than that. But yeah, no, like I just like the care that people, the 50s as well, like obviously we talk about like Victorian dress or like 19th, 18th century dress or the elaborate dress of all these different periods, but the 50s was fucking great. Yeah. 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 So yeah. elaborate. I know, I know. <laughs> and obviously like, this is the funny thing. It's like, so we talk about one thing that like, okay, so capitalism obviously capitalizes on everything. And there's this whole thing in like 68 version of understanding capitalism, which is like, oh, the family equals repression. But like, how about also the family was a way of protecting against the encroachment of capitalism? Mm-hmm. Question mark. And so all of these things, like, you know, you were talking about cigarettes in a previous episode, like all of these things, like taking time, enjoying your food, taking time to dress, like all of these things are profoundly anti-capitalistic. It's like time wasting. Great, you know. Yeah. And now we're so like, just imagine taking like 30 minutes to dress. Who has the time for that and to like take care of those clothes? Who has mm-hmm. time to like eat a breakfast like he eats? Nobody, because we're working 12 hours a day. And also, um, like, you mean, you, uh, get- you mean when it comes to like the focus of like time, like the, the fact that family demands like time from you and actually there's a relational sort of aspect to it of just like, you know, where, where the fuck have you been? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's like, like a, a, rep- a repression, like a private life, you know, private yeah. life by definition means like no capitalism is allowed here. So now uh-huh. like private lives are just like freaking on social media. But, you know, so, so obviously there's the idea of like French people and their relationship to food. They take a long time to eat things and like French people are yeah. thinner because they take a long time to eat because they actually enjoy it. Um, but yeah, no, so there's, there's obviously like a very good argument in our contemporary condition that like women do all this unpaid labor in the home, mm-hmm. cleaning, childcare, etc., and that there should be some monetary value put on it. But it's like, it's not as easy as that because what that ends up with is a capitalization on motherhood itself. Capitalism like encroaches into the family life. How good a mother are you? How many hours have you? What is your worth as a mother? Are you the best possible mother? Have you done mother training? Is your child the perfect candidate in capitalism? Like with with the breaking down of repressions comes the encroachment of capitalism. Like it's not a one way street. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that like all repression is good or that the past didn't have extreme problems. Yeah. But it's not as simple as just, oh, break down the boundaries, whoop de whoop, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's no, something like very that. like yeah and the funny thing is so this is the thing you know we're talking about in different episodes about like sex sex is everywhere now but it's unsexy in like, let's say the 50s or 60s for example sex was private but there was very there was more sexuality in the way people dressed like there's something extremely unsexy about wearing a frigging thong bikini yeah but there's something much more sexual about you know giving off a vibe that's hidden by an elaborate outfit. Yeah. Like a, like a, well, subtlety, right? Yeah, yeah. Subtlety in the way that you dress and subtlety in the way that you act. I think, yeah, it's like, I don't know. It's it's about an unanswered question. It's about fantasy. It's not about pure prime, something purely prime, you know? It's Mm -hmm. like, it's an unanswered question. Yeah. yeah, I do think that maybe like, I, I you know I I think maybe same as you. I hate talking about like generational sort of like mm. or it's just like generational divides and just like talking about 
well, I guess generalize in an in epoch, but I do sometimes think that like millennials, and we talked about this before, and mm -hmm. I told you that maybe I think that maybe millennials are like the least talented generation of all time. But I, I don't know. There's something to it that sexuality is sort of like it's se sexuality and sensuality is sort of like a repetition in the sort of like millennial cultural scape of uh of what used to be before more subtle and mm -hmm. but it's just like you know on steroids and it's like right in your face and there's no sense of like reserva reservation from it mm -hmm. and uh mm -hmm. i don't know that seems to me like there there needs to be sort of like a sense of uh, a subtlety that definitely we don't have but explicitly sexual because i think that's one of the things that happens now with like the liberal sort of like sensibility and it's that it's okay to be sexual as long as it's sterile whereas mm -hmm. i think before it used to be more of uh i mean i'm not romanticizing the past or whatever but it used to be like you know like maybe there's an injunction against like eroticism but yet and yet there's like this sensuality that is like mm -hmm. swollen out of like that mm -hmm. prohibition. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Apparently they did uh, not to say that like, not to be too like patriotic lol, but they uh, did, I saw some like four or five years ago, like a poll on who had the sexiest accent in the world. And it was like, you know, the Queen's English apparently and one with <laughs> i had always assumed it was just uh -huh. like a ta sexy italian man or whatever but like i don't i think there's like it's it's rationally explicable and that like british culture traditionally has all been about like repression and like mm -hmm. the upper upper class british people it's like oh no you know i don't know <laughs> I, maybe there's something to it that like there's some some yeah. known repressed sexuality yeah. going on behind that yeah, no, I. That's the thing. Yeah, that's that's exactly where it is. And I, I was reading this book by uh, Chul Han. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he was like he's a German philosopher, but I think uh, oh, yeah, Korean or something. It. Yeah, yeah. You're he talks about, about it, he wrote this book called The Transparent Society or the mm -hmm. Society of Transparency, and uh, he talks about like how everything is like visible now, and everything mm -hmm. needs to be transparent, and that sort of like it disables the possibility of anything new being born because in order for something to be developed fully and in a way that makes sense and it's like complete you need a sense of like secrecy and you need a sense of uh like things being sort of like behind the behind the scenes of like the public eye um it inherent to like every great idea or every great society or whatever there's like this sense of secrecy and there's a sense of like it's development it's not it's not like completely public so i think that there's a sort of um there's a sort of like uh, i think foucault talks about it as like the panopticon but it's just like a building in which you could see the interior you know like you can see everything in its interior uh so yeah, I don't know. I think that maybe sexual, the sexual has gotten on onto that same sort of like panopticon thing, which is like you know see everything, but at the same time it's devoid of any negativity and of any sort of like contradictory nature to it. It's 
precisely that. I think that maybe what's happening right now with the contractualization of like the sexual relationship and just like it's an attempt to make it into a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. It's an attempt mm-hmm. to ritualize it like in the movie that mm-hmm. will actually it's not real and it's actually impossible because the sexual is precisely constituted in a sort of like ontological impossibility. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely, the sexual yeah. is actually covering over a narrative gap of existential sort of, uh, you know, being. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So there is no actual way in which you can sort of ritualize it, regardless of whether you have something that works as in a sadomasochist uh, dynamic like the poison or having a contract in which you're like legally bounded and you you have to like respect sort of like the whatever injunctions that you think that you can put on the the sexual relationship and i think yeah. it's actually what is this thing that's like what, what is this lacan thing it's just like you know the subject doesn't speak but he's spoken i think it's very mm-hmm. similar with like the, the, like sex sexuality is just like you don't fuck you're like you're fucked you know <laughs> so so i don't know it's just like it doesn't it seems to me like maybe there is a struggle to yeah to to yeah contractualize or like ritualize the whole act and yeah. it doesn't really yeah yeah it's interesting obviously we have like dating apps now and it's like it's interesting my younger sister's going through the dating process now she um was in a relationship that was long enough that she didn't ex- you know historical enough that the apps went around so she's like first experiencing it now and um it's interesting, you know, like it, there is like a kind of like a, a ritualistic element to it and a, you have to do this, the certain rules. She's on this, she used Bumble actually successfully, which I was quite surprised at because I feel like weirdly, I'm not sure if it, to me theoretically it didn't work, but it has worked for her. So I was clearly wrong, but, um, or, or we shall see. <laughs> but you know, there's like a, a person has to, a woman has to do this, then a man has to do this. And, 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 um, yeah, and it's like, it's it's almost like dating is like profoundly traumatic. There's a line in Making Love that's like uh, about, actually, no, we took it out of the script, but it's like, you know, how painful love is. That's why it's called falling in love, you mm-hmm. know? It's like, um, but there's like a love without the fall now. Yeah. You know, you're kind of like protected because, so it's like, you know, like on apps, you're not necessarily rejected, not necessarily saying that rejection is a good thing, but, you know, you only see the people who match with you. So you're like, you don't see the bad side of it, but I mean, maybe that's a good thing. Like we all need to be like, have our crutches to deal with the hideousness of reality. Sometimes we can't just like, you know, the kind of like nerdy existentialist sense where you just like stand there and let the universe continually slap you in the face. You know, you have to like bear it. But yeah, no, I did the point being that I don't know if it ritualize it. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a difficult one to like ritualize and like legalize and yeah. But isn't it like, just quickly going back to what you were talking about, like rejection, don't you think that maybe rejection is like sort of paramount to sexual relationship? Because... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I knew. Well, that's the thing. It's like, it's the danger. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, (laughs) I was talking to my sister the other day and she was like worried. She was like, I don't want to have a, I don't want to have any boys. Because she, to her, it's just like, she doesn't understand like the way that like, males are deal with with their with their sexuality when they're like in mm-hmm. in their teenage years she's like what if he becomes like an incel or whatever so mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i don't know i think for a lot of people just they just take rejection to like the mm-hmm. utmost extreme and like maybe yeah become mm-hmm. that but i don't know i think that rejection precisely is like part of like what makes the struggle or mm-hmm. it, it it's part of like the antagonism of sexuality mm-hmm. yeah no i d- the incel question is uh, is a um 
is an interesting one and like I have to say that um I you know I feel like one should always feel empathy with people who feel um in difficulty or whatever and I do think that the world has become you know it's a feminized world Mm -hmm. right potentially that's a you know and like worlds are always unfair at any given time but I don't uh, but I think we have to bear that in mind and like be um like kind yeah you know but but do you think Um, that part of it is also just like allowing for rejection to be like it's it's normal and everybody goes through it yeah 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 exactly and yeah. it's funny because like i always think with the, the like the line of work the lines of work we're in i don't know if this has happened to you but like um or you hear this with like authors that they like get their rejection letters and like create it into wallpaper or you know people like count how many rejections they've got but like the create like it's just so brutal i mean it gets to the stage where you become completely sensitized and the rejection's totally fine it happens thousands of times like you know and it's and it's almost like i almost think if you find ways of like dealing it dealing with it explaining it like oh i just have to get through 500 rejections and then i'll be fine it's like you can only overcome it by like going through the horror of it you know and if you try to ritualize it you're just escaping that almost like Mm -hmm. if you turn it into like a trophy thing yeah i don't know if that's the healthiest way to do it you just have to but then maybe that's me being like a stupid like just let the universe slap you in the face but (laughs) i do think you know like you have to there's a certain facing up to that allows it to pass you yeah. know <laughs> and uh, but yeah and I think it's just like uh yeah it just is the way it is and like but yeah no no it is interesting in terms of like but is that different from obviously people are like libidinally invested in their work but like on the dating field like maybe rejection has more charge to it I don't know but yeah. I feel like yeah any attempt to ritualize these things doesn't necessarily work <laughs> yeah yeah. Did you have any other thoughts on the on the movie? No, but I am enjoying. Like, I do really like your take that it's almost like the fairy tale version of enjoy your symptom, yeah. or in, like I guess you can express it any other way. Like, enjoy your enjoyment. So, enjoyment by definition is the uh, pleasure. Also, is a word that's like charged, but like the feeling that you get of pleasure and satisfaction, or whatever, from not getting. So, yeah. enjoy your enjoyment, or. Uh, want what you can't have or just enjoy your symptom you know so a symptom is like a result of yeah what it, uh we did we did this quickly with um with the previous uh episode with uh Stanley Kubrick of the mm-hmm. top three what are your top three for P.T. Anderson um I'm gonna say Phantom Thread is my favorite okay um it's funny, I would say There Will Be Blood is my second favourite, but then I wonder if I would read it with different eyes post-2008. Yeah. As in, like, it's, like, the capitalist or whatever. Um, like, you know, it's, like, the evil... I, I actually, yeah. Like, favouring like capitalism? The, well, like, no, it's, it's like, this this one evil capitalist rather than, like, it's the system. But then, like, oh, I yeah. guess it can be, like, symbolically embodied in one person. And mm-hmm. then I'd say the master. But I think the master has potentially its flaws, but at the time that I watched it, it just spooked me. How about you? Yeah, I think the master first. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I follow, like, like 
because I, I know you really you're really like nitpicky about like the narrative and just like the characters they everything has to like make sense i think i just kind of like i like the atmosphere i love the music and all yeah, that yeah 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 but i think yeah. yeah definitely the master and then maybe there will be blood and probably third um boogie nights i really like boogie nights mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, i haven't seen inherent vice yet is it good it's pretty good yeah i don't know if you read the book but if you haven't seen it i was just like first reading the book Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then watching the movie. Cause read. Who has time to read these days? Who I know. Has time to read? <laughs> yeah, Isn't no, it weird that like nobody read reads anymore? But at the same time, we're always reading on our phones, like twenty four seven. It is, but it's funny because I I try to also Kindle to use Kindle, but I just can't. I just can't do it. Yeah. Like I have a bunch of Kindle books. The only books that I can read on Kindle are like the really shitty books that are just like escapist. Throw but, like, away an books. Actual, yeah. Yeah, an actual like theoretical book that I try to read on my phone. I'm like, oh, I just can't do it. What do you read? To- what do you read when you're just like, you know, like, like that kind of thing, just to like pass the time, not really to learn anything, just. Yeah, I mean, I do like, I do like reading novels. I like reading old novels. I'll tell you, like, like a 19th century novels, <laughs> but yeah. I'll confess something to you. Like, when I yeah. have like absolutely nothing else, like nothing better yeah. to do, I'll read Michael Crichton books. <laughs> you know who that Who's is? Michael Crichton. You don't know who it is? Yeah, like it, no. he he's like this writer that you know he he fancied himself a sort of scientist. Like he wrote mm. um, Jurassic Park. Uh, yeah, well, that's it's good. It's I mean, good, it's all right, it's but good. It's, it's good. It's entertaining. Yeah. 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 No, I like entertaining. I do like. I like. Um, you know, sometimes I think the best movies are, are shit movies, mm-hmm. as in they're like the most theoretically correct. Yeah. <laughs> Weirdly, like the more primal ones. Uh, yeah. So I do like watching a good like shit movie. Um, <laughs> Avengers yeah. or some shit like that. Oh, I've never, I've never seen event. <laughs> Actually, no, I saw the Avengers from like 2012, but I haven't seen any of them since. Did you see this new but, uh, like uh, diversity initiative from from Marvel? Mm-hmm. Yep. What are we going to say? Pure ideology. Pure ideology. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. I mean, like again, it's a tricky one because it's like, well, this is the thing. I feel like we you know, in our contemporary condition, we like, we, it can be tempting to read everything on surface value and you're almost punished if you don't. Yeah. Um, yeah I think the problem there yeah. is just like thinking that Disney is like dignified for doing that mm, or yeah. Yeah. that it's like pushing the boundaries of like, a, a, like inclusion or whatever. No, mm-hmm. actually, you know, through that inclusion, mm-hmm. there's just like excluding everybody else when it comes to like the working class. Cause like, I think they're one mm-hmm. of the few like companies or actually one of the many that, is unwilling to like raise raise wages and i mean mm-hmm. you know the mm-hmm. the, the problem yeah is, like, like disney world like yeah. they they can't afford to like even live in anaheim where yeah. disney world is like no and the thing is i think um this is the, the thing it's like oh, you know not to say i'd like i'd love my film to be distributed by a studio at some stage so i don't like this at all but like <laughs> also at some level you have to accept that if uh uh like a grand corporation or system or you know yeah certain like scope of um those in power like <laughs> by definition it's not going to be it's going to be within di- ideology yeah like, so yeah like it, it is going to be so and uh, which is why a lot of great work is recognized after its time because at the time you know if it if it if it spoke against ideology if it wasn't within ideology like it doesn't really have a chance yeah you know so yeah yeah all right 
Should we cut it there? <laughs> Let's cut it there. <laughs> In okay. that bright note. Yeah. yeah, on that bright note. I mean, I could be wrong, but part <laughs> no, of me thinks good. that these days. But yeah. Okay. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> Speak to you next time. Bye. Bye.